Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as obviously their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk with Michael Schmidt about his upcoming game, Paradox Vector, a retro-style shooter with vector-style graphics inspired by non-Euclidean geometry, Metroid Prime, and id Software's games like Doom and Quake. For more information about the game, check out the links in the show notes for this episode on darkstation.com. There you can find the original Darkcast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Before this episode gets started, I want to make a quick apology. I'm going to place this message at the beginning of episodes 38, 39, and 40. It's been a while since there's been a DCI episode, not because it's been a while since I've interviewed anybody, but it's been a while since I've actually published one of these interviews, and I don't have a good excuse for that. So first of all, apologies to any listeners that enjoy this. Um, and apologies to the, the fine folks that I have had the pleasure to speak with, whether it be about video games or streaming. 2020 has been a hell of a year, and we're only just over halfway through it. Unfortunately, beyond all of the issues that we faced with the coronavirus, with police brutality, with all the things that are going on with beloved actors passing away. My, my hope has always been that this podcast would be interesting to find out information about new and upcoming video games and, and to provide a kind of reprieve from the world because especially as this year has shown us, it's a mad world out there. Um, and I, have succumbed to it in in many ways this year. It's been very difficult to get these episodes together because to a large extent, video games don't feel like they matter right now with all that's going on. And if I'm being perfectly honest, instead of being productive in writing reviews or getting these podcasts that I've done the actual interview for, Um, Instead of getting those out for other people to potentially enjoy, I sit at my desk and I I play video games a lot and mindlessly watch movies and TV, trying, even though, even though it feels like doing this doesn't matter compared to everything going on in the world, more or less I try to shield myself from everything that's going on in the world with entertaining stories and engaging combat and 
I'm not even saying that I'm going to be better about getting podcasts out for the rest of this year. I hope I will. But I am apologizing for doing a piss poor job so far. And I'm saying that I will try. But I'm also just saying that if you found 2020 to be more difficult and you're not even one of the... If you haven't actually caught corona, if you haven't if you haven't been affected by police brutality, if it just feels like the plight of the world is too much for you to bear, you're not alone. We're all going through this together. And I want to thank each and every person that has ever downloaded an episode of Dark Cast Interviews and, and listened to me uh, fumble my way through interviews as I as I talk to talented men and women that have and continue to make amazing video games. Thank you for indulging me. Thank you for listening to Dark Cast Interviews. Welcome back to Dark Cast Interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me for this episode is Michael Schmidt. Mike, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Glad to have you on the show. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're here to talk about your both already released and upcoming game, uh, Paradox Vector. Uh, it's currently available in early access on Steam and Itch, but uh, I assume it's coming out soon. I figured that's why we're talking. I, I'm shooting for August, uh, end of August. Fantastic. So about a month left. That's that's great. I, I like that leeway because if something happens and this episode doesn't get edited as quickly as I would like it to, then you know I have I have a couple of weeks. Um, sure. Because the the you know we'll just go ahead and jump into one of my next questions. Like the world has gone crazy. Um, some might say to shit in the past year, <laughs> and it is it is kind of difficult being you know like self motivated and and doing stuff. Um, when there's just just i don't even know what's happening i mean i do know what's happening but it's like mind-boggling it's um, been an interesting year yeah so how how are you doing in the midst of covid19 in the midst of protests riots occupations of like unlabeled federal troops in cities like yeah. how how are you We've been uh, surprisingly well, considering Good. everything. Um, I've been doing freelance work for a while now. So I work from home. And so, I, you know, my life, my personal, just just me kind of life has not been impacted too directly, which I'm very thankful of. Yeah. Uh, because I see a lot of people are not doing so well. and uh, But we know people who have uh, lost loved ones. Um, my brother-in-law lost two cousins uh, out in, in Pakistan, hmm. and my my uh, wife's aunt lost her sister. So there's a, I think we counted it up. It's been like nine different people that we're not oh, wow. directly, right. you know, uh, in touch with, but like one step removed from us. So it's been pretty pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, but in my immediately immediate family we're we're basically at home and we're doing pretty good fantastic i i'm glad to hear that 
Um, yeah. And so you said you, you've been doing freelance work as long, I, I guess, along with your uh, development of, of your last few games. Yeah. Um, so you've been used to kind of working from home this whole time, so that hasn't been a huge uh, shift hasn't for you. Enough. Okay. Not a big impact right awesome. now, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, fantastic. I, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit uh, about kind of some of the, the work that you've done uh, ahead of uh, Paradox Vector. I keep wanting to call it Project Vector. I have no mm. idea why, but that like I've almost said that and almost typed it multiple times. Interesting. Which uh, there's only one letter related there, but I, I yeah. don't know. Um, it, maybe it's a good idea for my next game name. Sure. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, but, uh, but let's, so, uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the, the previous games that you, you've worked on and just yeah. kind of what they are, uh, just so that, you know, if anybody's interested, they can go check them out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. My biggest, um, sort of my first big effort in game design. Well, my first few were like, obviously like every game des- developer, like huge, uh, open world MMO games, you know, but those never, <laughs> get finished so we won't talk about those but um i made a and this is this is still it's still my game uh that i'm still working on but it's a game i started in 2013 and it's called star explorers and basically it was uh my idea was very similar to uh what we know now as no man's sky and it's interesting because uh, of this thing that's called simultaneous invention, where several people come up with very similar ideas at the same time. And that that game, once it was announced, I was kind of like a little upset because it was <laughs> so similar to my idea that I was already working on. Right. But obviously, I wouldn't have probably competed at their level. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep making this game. And that was 2013. I think 14 is when No Man's Sky was announced. And then I finally released it in 2016. So, uh, and it was in early access also, which I had a pretty good experience with in, uh, back then. Uh, I've noticed with Paradox Vector, the early access phase hasn't been quite as active. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's something to do with early access or something to do with the game itself. But I think there's been a decline there as far as um, people have been burned maybe by some early access titles. Sure. So I think they're a little more hesitant. I see a lot of wish lists and stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, that, so it's like a procedural space exploration game. And uh, it's it's still uh, something I think about. I just updated it a couple weeks ago because uh, I keep getting ideas. And there's always little bugs to fix also. So. I have to do that, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun game. That's cool. Um, you know, it just you talking about kind of um, you know adding stuff to it, and obviously you could f- fix bugs in a game endlessly. I mean, some, some yeah, could just do that forever. Um, but I don't know. The so is, is the game? Does the game have to be online? Does it have any sort of online functionality, it, or is it a, a it single does player? Not. Okay. Yeah, all my games are single player at this okay. point. I haven't gone into the multiplayer realm just okay. yet it, i grew up in the atari 2600 you know yes. space Absolutely. and and then apple II was my big uh, you know when i really 
got to enjoy more complex games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so single player is kind of my thing. I, I never really got into multiplayer. And we did play a lot of Street Fighter Two in, in college, probably more than we should have. But uh, yeah, I, I still have that passion for the single player experience. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I don't understand multiplayer games. Um, yeah, I, wanting I, to play I, with I, other people is just bizarre. It's... <laughs> I, it sounded like a good idea. Like uh, I really enjoyed. There's been a few that I really liked. Like Left for Dead was mm-hmm. an excellent multiplayer game. It wasn't so complicated, you know, and you kind of had to work together the way they designed it. And so I thought that was a great kind of co-op experience. Sure. Um, but yeah, I still prefer the single-player games. I think uh, my favorite game of all time has got to be. Well, we'll talk about that later, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get some. We'll. We're talking about my games. Yeah, we're talking about your games. We'll we'll talk about other people's games later. Um, But no, I I was just kind of thinking the the idea of kind of the the live service game is we usually see it, or at least I see it, and I'm like, ugh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's it's horrible. And and for the most part, I I feel like that's 100% true. But at the same time, I I guess, I don't know. I don't don't know what it is about your game that, or at least... um, your first game that you can kind of go back to it and add to it and change stuff around um, oh. and just, you know, have ideas and be like, Oh, we should add that to the game. Right. But like that, I don't know. That's just kind of a, I guess that's one of the neat things about, I guess our digital age and not even just the, uh, not the live service so much, but the fact that you don't have a, a physical CD that you put in and install the right. game and that's the game. But you know, every time you download it from steam or whatever, you have the most up-to-date version. So if somebody's gone right. back and added stuff like that is it's a double-edged sword obviously because if steam ever goes down supposedly they'll let you download all of your stuff or whatever but at the same time like i have way too many games on steam to ever (laughs) download like unless i have a you know a nas or something yeah Um, especially if you have id (laughs) it what is it id or id software right never know to say yeah but they're like 50 gigabytes now. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Well, and, and like the Call of Duty is like 150 gigabytes. And wow. It's, yeah. Yeah, stuff is is nuts. So, but at the same time, I guess I've, I've rarely thought about the positive of just being able to kind of like continually update something. But something that can kind of just be a, a lone person's passion project that as you yeah. work on other stuff and as you get other tools and become a better developer and just go, oh, I should totally go back and fix this or add this yeah. or do whatever. Like that's actually, it's actually really it, neat. <laughs> I, my background is in the fine arts. So uh, as like a painter, you know, you can go back and, and touch things up, but once you've framed it and it's out there, you don't really touch things anymore. You don't right. change things. Right. But and I that's, that... that's of course when your eye sees all of the problem is as soon as it goes into the frame <laughs> or as soon as you hit print on right. the, the novel or whatever the case may be. That's yeah. when everything just. Oh, but yeah, game game design has uh, certainly it is a double edged sword. You could probably work a game to death. Right. But I think I think people like to see updates. They like to see improvements, and uh, that's something I I plan to keep working on for sure. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so what came after uh, Star Explorer? So actually, it was released before, but I started it after. There was a small project. I was actually working on getting interesting looking nebulas to form in star explorers and i kind of 
wanted to focus on that for a bit, so I, I made a separate program, right? Uh, just to focus on that uh, procedurally generated nebula. And I started to get some interesting shapes going. And then I thought, hey, I wonder if I added some different colors and maybe some different uh, particle effects. And I started manipulating this nebula generator and it kind of became its own thing. It, it emerged into this procedural art generation tool. And I ended up calling that Anomalies. And that was released right before Star Explorers. It was like, uh, hold on a second. That was 2016 in, oh gosh, now I'm, now I'm forgetting. Uh, Star Explorers on uh, Steam says 2018. Uh, but okay. that, that's probably yeah. when the 1.0 came out. 2016. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Star Explorers came out in 17. Hmm. And then the full version after early access was 18. Okay. So, yeah, sorry. I, I, I forgot. Hey, that's, few... you know, yeah, time does that. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but also, I mean, March this year was its own year. So I think right. by the end <laughs> of 2020, we're all going to at least be an entire decade older than we were in yeah, 2019. That's, um, sounds about so... Right. So yeah, no, you are you are forgiven there. And um, we're also going to be uh, uh, political science experts. Yes. And and um, what is that? Pandemic um, experts. Uh, yeah, epidemiologists. Right? <laughs> epidemiologists. <laughs> we got that covered. Yes. Um, for sure. Yeah, that that was a fun little project, and I learned a lot releasing that, mm -hmm. and learning that you know people like to be able to do things like change their screen size and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they like to have an idea of what they're supposed to do in a game, yeah. right? Like little tutorials. So I learned a lot, definitely. I'm glad I released that little project before Star Explorers, but it was still way too early for me to do the Star Explorers hmm. because I could test it, but as a procedurally generated thing, it was kind of impossible to test everything because a lot of it just kind of shows up randomly. So I was getting a lot of bugs early on that I had no no idea, you know, mm -hmm. where they were coming from. So that was pretty scary and it could have it could have gone better, but uh, I was able, you know, over the last few years I was able to, you know, address almost everything, all the, the little problems. So that was okay. it's been good. Okay. Um, and then in 2000 I think also in 2018, uh, I made this little game called Rocket Blasters. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to double check the dates because now I don't trust myself. <laughs> uh, 2017. So, yeah, right at the end of 2017. Um, so there's this thing that artists do in October. It's called Inktober. Hmm. Right. Uh, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of artists will do a little ink drawing every day okay. and share oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it on some social media. And I did this, this was my first and so far last Inktober, and I just drew like 30 different little uh, spaceship scenes with this little rocket ship traveling from one planet to another and through asteroid belts and, you know, fighting big alien spaceships and stuff. And... It was a lot of fun because I spent maybe 
hour and a half, two hours on each drawing. And they got a lot of really positive feedback. And just to express how different this was for me, on uh, Reddit, I had been sharing my artwork for many years. And I think my biggest kind of, uh, and I, I spent months sometimes on, on a painting, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think my most popular Reddit share was like 150, you know, up, up clicks, whatever they call them on Reddit. And so, you know, I, I started sharing these little ink drawings that I, took me an hour and a half, and they started getting a lot of positive, you know, clicks. And one of them got 3,000. So wow. it was like, kind of like, wow, like, what about my paintings, guys? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I spent two months on that thing. And so I realized, like, it's not always about the... Uh, amount of time you put into something. Sometimes it's about just the, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the, without sounding like I'm bragging or something, it's like the, the skill you develop as an artist sometimes shows off better on a short or small piece. And people appreciate it more because they can see that whatever you've been doing for the last 20 years has evolved into something that you can put an idea down quickly, mm -hmm. but still in a way that's, uh, uh, you know, a level of quality. Mm -hmm. And I think that somehow people react better to that and can see the, or get the enjoyment out of it in a way that something that you spent months on might not translate as easily. Right. Does that make any sense? This is, this is my own you know, attempt to understand why that little drawing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, um, so I, I went to college for creative writing. So okay. a lot of times my brain goes to, to writing examples and stuff like that. But like sure. when, when you spend a long time on a, a novel or something, or just any sort of like long work of, of fiction, um, yeah. then you're sort of improving over the course of working on the project. Um, right. but the flaws that you made at the beginning can't always mm -hmm. be completely covered up. And the bigger the project is like the, the more you're not going to be able to fix everything. But yeah, if, if you can like do it. something just yeah. kind of like short and to the point, then you can kind of like, I don't know, maximize your skill in a way. Right. Um, yeah. And, and also when it's in that kind of concentrated point, like if you've got, if you've got really well-written words over the course of a, of a full-length novel, then they're diluted by all of the other words that have to be there. I mean, you got to have ands and you got to have these and you got to have, yeah. you know, all these articles and just boring words. Um, you, you know, not every sentence can be like this immaculately crafted thing, right. but when it's a, a you know, a tiny one page, if it's a microfiction or if it's a, you know, a novella or, you know, whatever kind of short story, then you or can kind of, like poetry, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can make a haiku and, you know, you, when you do that, like every word does have to be um, kind of on point. And when it is, then, you know, it's, it's kind of a bigger impact. And so if somebody can like see that, hey, I made this this afternoon, it's like, oh, wow, shit, that, that looks awesome. Um, right, right. So that's yeah. that's how my brain interprets it. I don't know about the the rest of the population of the earth, but right. I, I feel like I feel like I get what you're saying. So I I think okay. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting experience for me though. Sure, so sure. Thought I would share that, but the game uh, 
the game uh, didn't somehow translate the same way. Mm. So, <laughs> gotcha. You know, it's got it got positive reviews, but maybe what like twelve of them. Oh. So you know, gotcha. I was happy with it. It's a yeah. short little shoot 'em up, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it wasn't intended to be anything too, uh, you know, long term. I just wanted to. I, I think it took me three weeks to make it. Gotcha. So yeah. it was. Uh, it was a fun little project. And I was kind of getting tired of Star Explorers by that time because I was still working on the full release of that. And I wanted a little side project. Yeah, and I thought it, it was nice. It worked out. Uh, and then Paradox Vector came. Should I start talking about Paradox Vector now? Sure. Yeah, we can get into that. I did have one just quick question. Did yeah, you yeah. Did you get any like retroactive views of like people going back and looking at your other work uh, when you got kind of a, a lot of upvotes uh, from... Uh, you'd be super- no, not okay. really. <laughs> it's kind of in the moment for these things, right? Sure, yeah. No, I, um, I just, I don't know. I guess when I when I find something on Reddit or something, you know, I'll click on the person and want to go back and like see their other right. stuff. So yeah, I, sometimes I guess not everybody is as thoughtful as me. <laughs> it may have, it may have happened, but I don't remember any specific. No, no like big that. jumps it, or anything like that. Yeah, so. nothing major. Gotcha. But still a fun, fun little, exciting time. Right? Okay. Well, before we get into to Paradox Vector, just you mentioned that you do some freelance uh, work. Do you work on other games? Do you work on other software? What what kind of stuff do you do? I, I have done some work on other games with like in a team environment, but that's more hobby gotcha. related, and th- those all kind of fell apart, which is mm-hmm. kind of why I'm happy being a solo developer at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. The never really. We never really finished anything. Uh, but for freelance, I do graphic design and, and video editing. Okay. So it's a little different, but somewhat related. Um, which is nice because it gave me, like, I can make my own trailers, for instance. Right. Uh, because I have those tools. And um, can I go back and talk about anomalies a little bit more? Absolutely. This is not yeah, a this is not a linear podcast. We we can go okay, back and great. forward, side to side. It's like <laughs> it's like a Wonkovator. Awesome, yeah. Because I it, it it introduced me to this idea of procedural art, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I I do this quite often. I think I invent something, <laughs> <laughs> and I find out like a million other people are doing it, and uh, so I I kind of I didn't know the word for that, and I was looking up you know, random, randomly generated art or something like that. And finally, I find out this procedural term. And of course, there's whole communities of people doing these things much more sophisticated than what I was doing. But still, it was it was great uh, learning experience because by encountering those other people trying to do similar things, uh, you get ideas, right? And yeah. you, you share your ideas and you get feedback. And so this whole procedural thing kind of took off in my mind as uh and i got into it for like a year or two years maybe three years um and i started putting music into that game so i would have like uh sound effects that happened in a in a randomly generated way and it would occasionally form things that sounded musical so I kind of tweaked the algorithms to make it more musical, and I realized, okay, I could use this in Star Explorers also. So each planet or each cave or each 
you know, place you go, it generates a different little tune to listen to as you're exploring. And um, what I ended up doing was recording some of those songs from both Anomalies and Star Explorers, and then I ended up using those as the music in my newer game. So it's it's a interesting the way you know one feeds into the other, sure, and back and forth. There's this whole uh, communication happening between my different different games and also different art forms, because that same procedural generation, I, I took some of those shapes and I made like paintings out of them and things like that. So it's yeah. It's like a trying to allow one side of my brain to influence the other, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting to see some of the results for me as an artist. I don't know if it's interesting for other people, but that's, uh, I guess that's up to them, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. And with, with any kind of arts, like, it's, it's obviously important that the art be important in moving to the artist. I, and in a sense, art is never complete until somebody else views it and has a reaction right. to it, whatever that may be. But I, I don't know. You can always see the games and, and the movies and the the music where it's like this was this was made by a committee for you know right. the the lowest common denominator. Like it's supposed to be for everybody and ends up not being for anybody because it's just not actually anything. That um, can happen. And so, you know, sometimes you have something that's it's meant to appeal to a wide audience and it absolutely does. Um, But I don't know. For for me, I would I would rather have the thing that is like kind of wonky and and messed up. But you can just tell somebody just tried their hardest and Mm. put every ounce of love into it, Um, because I I feel like you can feel that on the other side, whether it's it's a movie or a piece of art or a. Um, a game, or you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but Story. That's, that's just me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I, I I like my mainstream entertainment things as well, but yeah. uh, I'm definitely more into the indie stuff right now. Nice. Just as a as a developer my, myself, like if a if a AAA company for whatever reason were delusional and they decided to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd do it, right? I, I, I don't know if I would be able to. I, I would feel like, oh, I have to work on, you know, a box or, a, you know, whatever they assigned to me. Whereas as a solo developer, I get to do whatever I want. And even though, you know, money is always an issue, you have that creative outlet where if that was my job, I don't think I would get as much satisfaction out of it for sure. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I, I guess that brings us to, to Paradox Vector now. Uh, it's been yeah. out in early access for a little over a year now. And yeah. uh, you said it, it's coming out, uh, the, the 1.0 version, uh, towards the end of August. So I guess first, like looking at the, the trailer and some of the screenshots and then reading about it, what actually is this game? Like, what's going on? Is, is there a story? <laughs> like, I, I get the premise of the non-Euclidean geometry and the vector lines and you know yeah. the kind of like retro inspired shooter stuff uh but that those are three things that just don't seem like they would come together the way that they do uh so like right so what's what's going on here well yeah definitely i was trying to come up with something novel 
you know, not not something we've seen before. Sure. Uh, the idea for the vector graphics came first, and basically uh, working on Star Explorers, I was. This is how one game led to another again. Uh, I have like a 3D map of the galaxy in that game. And originally I was using these models with, you know, bitmaps uh, to draw these squares, these boxes that you could, um, like it was shown in the 3D map of the galaxy, right? So the, the little boxes would show each sector of the galaxy and you could click on the box and zoom in to see the stars in that sector, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I never felt like that looked really good. It kind of looked kind of cheap because when you zoom in on a texture, it's going to lose its resolution, right? Right. And that didn't feel right for a, a 3D map of a star system. So I wanted, I went into my game studio manual. I'm using 3D game studio, by the way. Okay. Not too many people know about that. It's a little bit of an older, kind of like Unity, but an older version that isn't quite up to date anymore. But um, uh, so it only makes Windows games. It doesn't have different, you know, porting to different systems, unfortunately. Mm. But it's it's the software I learned programming on and game design on. So it's much more natural for me to to use that. Yeah. Is anyway, that, is that kind of like a three D? version ish of like the of game maker or is that it's a different company right it's a german company Tonatech. Okay. it's a lot like unity but different programming language and right. not as many you know options as far as uh what you're porting out to okay um yeah it's it's a great engine though it's i, I love it it's just it's old. I think the last major update was 2010. So, you know, yeah, I don't know how much longer <laughs> I have to keep. I, I, I have been dabbling in Unity and, and Unreal to okay. see if I can update my, you know, skill set at some point in the future. But so far, my current games are all done on, on this older system. Okay. Uh, I do know, actually, Rocket Blasters was done in Game Maker Studio. So that's a 2D game. But uh, the other ones are 3D games to do. Uh, anyway, I found out you can draw lines, right? So they're just li like 3D lines on the screen. And it doesn't matter if you zoom into them or zoom out. It's just a single pixel of, of, of you know, width mm -hmm. line. So I thought this would be great for my 3D map. And I figured out how to do that. And it got it working. And I really liked the results. And I'm like, you know what? If I took like any... 3D model and applied these 3D lines to it, I could make a, like a vector graphics game based on these, the same line drawing technique. And of course, that's also always possible with what they call like a wire shader. But when you're drawing the lines, you have much more control over which lines get drawn. And with a wire shader, you're basically drawing every line in that model. And you don't have a lot of uh, creative control over what it's going to look like, right? Mm, okay. uh, I guess it's a technical issue, but uh, this way I was able to just draw certain vertices, the, you know, the lines between certain vertices, so I could give it the outline I wanted and not necessarily show the whole model, right? Um, right. I, I hope that makes sense. And 
But anyway, I thought, okay, this would be a kind of a cool retro-looking vector graphics game. And I, I initially was just going to have like a maze and some robots and shooting, you know. Sure. And it was going to be a very fast game like Rocket Blasters. And I was going to make it in like, you know, maybe six months, I thought. But as I started working on it, um, I was like, you know, this this is a cool idea, but it's it needs something else. And I wasn't sure what that other thing was going to be. At around the same time, I was still doing a lot of painting at that time. And I was working on these uh, kind of uh, tributes to the artist M.C. Escher. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so he drew a lot of this kind of impossible geometry in his art. Um, so like staircases that would just wrap around themselves right. so it was constantly going up and but it, it formed into a you know a square a circle uh an endless loop which is impossible in reality but perfectly possible on a 2d piece of paper uh the other one one of my favorites is the waterfall you know that falls down and then it flows upwards but as it you know if you look at the image closely it's not flowing upwards it's flowing down but somehow, because the geometry is different, it ends up at the top, right? Right. Uh, and so these ideas always inspired me. Uh, as a young kid, my mom had a book about him. And there was another video game way back then called Realm of Impossibility. It was a 2D game, but it, they used the same kind of geometric uh, forms to uh, to show these impossible worlds, and that that game really stuck with me, hmm. um, and I thought this would be neat to do in 3D, and it's it's been done before in in some 3D games, of course. Uh, I think Antichamber is probably one of the best examples of of this 3D puzzle game. Yeah, but that's, that's I the first one I remember at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even back in the old days, I think um, I played a lot of Might and Magic and Bard's Tale. And in these, they had like this, you know, 3D dungeons. And sometimes they would use teleporting, but you didn't know it was teleporting. You would just end up in a weird different part of the maze. And it just felt like this impossible sort of loop took place. Uh, so all of those things kind of added together. And I... I didn't want to make a puzzle game. You know, I wanted to have an action game with shooting robots and other enemies. And so I spent a long time just trying to figure out how to get these impossible loops to happen in the game. Uh, originally, I wanted to actually make a 3D object that would kind of warp itself so that when you changed the direction you were looking at it, it would kind of warp into a different shape. That turned out to be a little too complex for me. So I, I kind of ended up going back to the the teleport trick. Uh, and just using that simple, you know, moving the character without them knowing it, mm -hmm. I found you can actually accomplish quite a lot of different different kinds of illusions. Uh, and and that, was, that was fun to figure out, you know, all those different... Uh, types of uh, corridors and, and geometries that I could play around with. 
to confuse people. <laughs> um, and so those two ideas kind of merged together into one. So the, the vector graphics game with the impossible geometry and the, the robots and, and shooting. <laughs> okay. It's kind of like an old school kind of quake type shooter, mm-hmm. but it's got these interesting or different environments and this different aesthetic. So right. yeah, it's, it's kind of three different games in one, you could say. <laughs> Um, so kind of going back to the uh, the vector graphics a little bit. Um, yeah. So I mean the the only thing that I remember is the and I think you mention it in on your your website or the Steam page or, or somewhere uh, is the the original uh, Star Wars game where you're doing the trench run and the yeah. swing and you know that that was made with vector graphics. Yep. There are probably plenty of people that are listening to this that never played that. Uh, I don't right. think I ever actually played it. I I just think I saw it. Um, but um, is... I think it had to be around in the early 80s right, to get right, right. the feel for those games. And this was something I remember going to the arcades with my brother. My brother was four or five years older than me. Mm. And he would play those games and I would be scared of them <laughs> because they just looked too intimidating somehow. I don't know how to describe it. They, they weren't cute little characters. They were like these you know, like computer console kind of, uh, it looked like you were actually piloting a starship and, and you know, looking at the computer readout mm-hmm. for that. They, it just felt too real to me somehow when I was a little kid. But my brother loved them and I would watch him. There was one called Tail Gunner. And if you get a chance, check it out. It's like, it's these 3D spaceships and they're flying at you and you're in the back of a spaceship and you have to shoot them out of the sky before they catch up to you. Uh, it's it's really cool. Um, and then Battle Zone was the other one with the tanks. Right. You, you were in control of a tank. That was kind of like first-person shooter game for back then. Mm-hmm. Um, way before any of the others, right? Uh, and then the Star Wars one. And then there were other, like the original Asteroids was done in vector graphics. What ended mm-hmm. up happening, vector, vector graphics were done on a completely different kind of hardware, right? And mm-hmm. it could only draw lines. It couldn't draw pixels. But the pixel graphic machines, obviously, were more versatile, you know, and you could draw lines on those or or pixel graphics. Uh, so that kind of won out on that competition of which, which type of game was going to be the game of the future, right? Right. And, you know, by the time Pac-Man and, and every all the popular arcade games came out, it was all done with the raster or pixel graphics. But that age of the vector graphics, you know, stuck in my brain and in a lot of people's brains. And uh, I felt like it was never fully explored, mm-hmm. you know? Like, if that technology had been the dominant one, it would have... We would have very different-looking games today. Sure. Uh but it was it just you know it never happened so i thought this would be an interesting sort of alternate timeline kind of game like what if doom was vector graphics what if quake or half life or whatever 3d games turned out to be vector graphics and what kind of advances could we have made in that style mm-hmm. uh, if it, if people had kept using it and developing it and so this i see this as potentially like in the 2010s, I think, 
pixel graphics became very popular, mm-hmm. right? In, in especially in the indie scene, right? Like people started going back. Like we like these ro- low resolution pixel games from the '90s, you know, on our Nintendos. Let's explore this and see what kind of beautiful are. And there's some beautiful pixel games that had people not gone back and tried that and developed that, we would have never seen them, you know? If everybody was trying to do AAA-style, ultra-realistic, which is beautiful stuff, too, but I would feel like we would be missing out also if everybody was doing that. We have to explore all the different possibilities. So I think vector graphics, its time is coming. (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess... Um, from all of this, I, I think you've answered my question, but th- this is yeah. this is basically an, an approximation of vector graphics, and in a right. sense, this isn't true vector graphics. It's um, okay because uh, I, is... I never, I never used a true vector monitor. Okay, right. But as far as the as far as um, is possible on a modern computer. I don't know how you would how else you would do vector graphics, right? Yep. So I don't. You're gonna be drawing lines. It's the only like I would say a fake vector graphics would be if you created models with a texture and you drew lines on that texture, which was mm-hmm. what I was doing in Star Explorers. That would be more what you might call fake vector graphics. Okay. This is these are you know line draw commands written in the script of that you know program so i think that's as close to vector as you can get without going back to the actual hardware yeah okay cool i'm not i don't claim to be an expert (laughs) (laughs) if one of your listeners has a better idea i'm totally open to that Alrighty. yeah um very cool so um so you're you're in a weird world in this game yeah. that that wraps back around on itself it does you know upward flowing waterfalls and stuff yeah. uh, not really because it's vector graphics uh, but um what I, I guess is there is there any sort of plot line going on here is there any oh, yeah. backstory what's what actually is yeah, this, the, the setup for this what i ended up doing i'm a big fan of the writer hp lovecraft hmm, okay and i've been reading his work for a long time and i mean just to say it and everybody brings this up, and you might want to edit this out. A lot of people call him out for his racism, which is a thing, for sure. He was writing in the early 1900s, and I don't want to excuse him. At the same time, a lot of people had those views back then, so I don't know if we can judge him, you know, retroactively as much as we might want to. Right, that's... Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw this in there, just a random yeah. aside. Please. I recommend people go check out Lindsay Ellis's videos about the death of the author, uh, which basically talks about being able to view um, a person's work separate from kind of what their personal beliefs are. And yeah. she's talked mainly about um, J.R.R. Tolkien and sure. uh, J.R. Rowling, who like it's okay. it becomes a very different thing where the author jk, JK, JK rowling, rowling that, sorry yeah, okay. i, I yeah. haven't actually ever read harry potter so um okay. um but uh it, it becomes a very different thing when the person's still alive and the person is sure. you know long dead and it's 
I don't know. There, there's no easy answer for, you know, if, if somebody had destructive and harmful beliefs or had yeah. those in their, their works. Um, there's not necessarily just a, a clean answer to say, Oh, we should just throw it all in the garbage or we should right. just forgive them for their views. Like it's, it's kind of something that everybody has to wrestle with on how they personally feel about it with a person and that person's uh, work. So yeah, I'll, I'll throw links to that in the show notes just if people randomly want to go check sure. that out. But, um, but yeah, no, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's a messy thing, but you know, if, if you can take something from a work um, and benefit from it, then you, sh- you should take that part of it and, and benefit from it. It's, it's yeah. what I think. So anyway, what I ended up doing is I, I wrote a storyline very similar and kind of inspired by one of his stories. And basically it's kind of a sequel to a story he wrote called At the Mountains of Madness, Uh, right? Mm -hmm. And in in that story, without giving away too many spoilers, uh, these two men visit this ancient, uh, basically ancient civilization that was buried under the ice in Antarctica and realize that the inhabitants of that civilization didn't actually die out. They're just kind of underground and so they end up escaping and uh one of them goes mad in the process which is pretty much a trope in lovecraft's writings uh someone's gonna go mad (laughs) right so what i thought was you know be interesting to follow that crazy archaeologist's life and see what happens next and so he ends up, uh, in my story, he ends up kind of telling everybody about what he experienced, and they all sort of reject him, you know, because uh, it's crazy. And, you know, he, as a, as a scholar, as a teacher, as a professor, or whatever, he's discredited. And so his daughter is, you're actually the character of his daughter in this story, and she takes up the mantle of proving her her father's story to be true. And she, and this is kind of way outside of what Lovecraft, I think, would have approved of. But <laughs> she she creates a time machine to go back into the past to get proof of this ancient civilization. And uh, she ends up kind of stuck there. And that's where you start the game. You're you're stuck in this ancient world before the dinosaurs with aliens. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of an absurd story. I, You know, the story was tagged on at the end uh, more than anything else. But, you know, it did inform, you know, where I went. I only had like five or six levels going and then I kind of created the story and so the rest of the levels kind of, you know, were influenced by the story. So I guess it, it, it's not entirely uh outside of the you know process of, of coming up with this game sometimes i don't have a story at all it's just gameplay mm-hmm. this one i guess is my first game that had a story before i finished the game <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah yeah cool. uh as, as you were kind of designing the game was there any point that you felt like 
the the vector art style limited what you were trying to convey with i guess the the tools that you had at, at your disposal or i don't know just how did, how did that go it it certainly is a challenge to to make stuff in in this vector graphic style and it's time consuming and the tools aren't really built in right i kind of had to come up with my own way of doing it um whereas like most game engines will allow you to import sprites right like 2d sprites that's that wasn't the case in 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 this case right uh i had to and i have an article written about this about how to make a vector graphics game it's not like the game engines were designed to do this uh out of the box you kind of have to write your own script to render these lines in a way that's going to look anything you know like an like an actual game um there are some built-in wireframe type shaders but i didn't feel like those were giving the the kind of aesthetic that i wanted so i had to customize that um so the the it's time consuming to come up with new um assets and put them in there based on the way i was doing it so definitely it was a it was a challenge did i ever feel limited by it mm-hmm. only in that it it was time consuming but <laughs> otherwise that was what i was trying to explore so i didn't feel like oh i wish i could have this you know uh high res you know monster in this game because it, it just wouldn't have looked right for the for the whole aesthetic of the game mm-hmm. i ended up adding fog like a like a distance fog as an option in the game okay. because I, one thing I noticed was that when I took screenshots, they looked really cool when you looked at them in the full screen. But as soon as you reduce them down to a thumbnail size, you could barely see anything. Like there was the lines got, you know, uh, to make up a word invisibilized, right? Because they were reduced down, and they're already so thin to begin with that right. you could barely make out some of the details. It's, and it's basically just empty space when yeah, like, the more you compress yeah. it, gotcha. Okay. Until you're looking at it on a full screen, right? Where okay. it, it it looks interesting, I think. And when people did see it, you know, they they responded positively, more or less. But those small thumbnails just never carried it across, and so well, I think a lot of people didn't bother clicking on it because it looked like a black. <laughs> rectangle you know right. <laughs> so i added this i added this colored fog and it just kind of gave it a little more depth and uh made it more readable when you reduced it in size uh so i feel like that was a something i kind of had to do although it kind of went against the initial intentions for the game hmm. uh but i felt like I, I have it as an option. You can turn it off. So anyone who wants to really go old school can do so. But for everyone else, I'm going to give them this. Plus, people were getting motion sickness. Um, that was one of the earlier complaints I got, which was, I think, because of the stark black, you know, black with just a bright line uh, colors. Somehow that affected people's people who normally play 3D games they were still having problems with it. Sure. So adding that foggy uh, background 
help to mitigate that. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, does, I guess the fog gives everything more of a, a sense of depth. Do, do lines decrease in size? I mean, if they're, if they're one pixel that uh, I guess eventually they, they would decrease in size, but they're, I don't know. They're already pretty small up close. Yes. So as they go towards the, you know, horizon point, I, yeah. I guess everything kind of looks the same. Is that, does that make you know, sense in my I brain could, or is that, I don't know. It could have done that. Okay. Right. But what I did was as it um, goes away from the player's camera, the alpha channel of that line decreases. Okay. Right. So it becomes transparent. So uh -huh. they get darker and darker as they go further and further. Okay. So basically kind of like adding a fog uh, effect to that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, um, kind of onto the, the combat and stuff. You mentioned that you were inspired yeah. by, you know, like Quake and, and Doom and stuff like that. So um, I guess, I mean, that's, that's a pretty understandable combat loop. Uh, what kind of weapons and, and what kind of enemies are, are we fighting in sure. uh, Paradox? So there's, there's two types of enemies. There's the robotic sort of type and then the more uh, squiggly kind of alien type, mm. right? And what you find out pretty early on is that they're actually the same, right? The, the robots house these sort of squiggly spider creatures. So the first robot you shoot, uh, it explodes, but this spider jumps out and attacks you and, and it will explode on contact if you don't shoot it fast enough. So it's kind of a little jump scare that I put in there. So basically you kind of, it's kind of based on um, a Metroid type game. I don't know if you played Metroid Prime, mm -hmm. right? Uh, where as you encounter and pick up new items and weapons, it will unlock areas right, that you wouldn't have been able to go to. So there is a, I wouldn't call it open world, but there's like a revisiting type of uh, option available okay. in this game. Um, so there's certain things that are blocked off, uh, like you can see them sometimes, like a weapon is behind this gate, but you can't open it so mm. until you go find the, the proper tool to open that gate. Um, and there's pretty standard weapons right now. Uh, I'm thinking of adding another one before the, the end of the month, but nothing is set in stone at this point. Gotcha. Um, but it, basically, there's there's a handgun, which you find pretty early on. Then you get a like a machine gun, and they're kind of spacey looking. So the idea is that this alien civilization had their own weapons. Um, uh, there's a laser, uh, which shoots like a constant beam, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And they all have advantages and disadvantages. The, the handgun is a little more accurate than the machine gun. So if you're trying to hit something from far away, you're better off with that. Machine gun obviously sh fires quicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can right click to kind of aim, you know, bring the weapon into your sights. Uh, and then uh, there's a rocket launcher, which will blow stuff up that the other weapons will not. Also, uh, time bombs you find earlier, which will blow up like walls and stuff that, that will unlock different areas. So they all have a, a purpose and a, you know advantages and disadvantages. And ammo is not entirely 
always available. So okay. I want people to be feeling like they need to switch out between the weapons at least once in a while and not rely too heavily on, on one. Um, yeah, and, and I think uh, the enemies, obviously, uh, they start off relatively easy. You know, uh, there's these little turrets that will shoot at you if you get into their sights. There's these robots that move around and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the little spiders jump out. Mm-hmm. And then there's larger, kind of more alien-type enemies that come in the later levels, uh, like these kind of jellyfish-type creatures. Oh. If you look at the the Steam page, you'll see a big illustrated version of one. Okay. Um, and they all have, you know, kind of... They get a little tougher uh, as they get bigger, basically. Mm. And, and there's some other robotic entities that end up showing up in the later levels that are harder and they, they, you know take more damage and when you blow them up something bigger and scarier than a spider will jump out of them <laughs> so uh some of the early play testers and you you can still find these videos on youtube they got really freaked out by the jellyfish i didn't I didn't expect the game to be scary mm-hmm. uh, when I first made it because of the, you know, very old looking graphics and stuff. But I guess somehow the jellyfish just got under people's skin <laughs> and freaked them out, which I felt like it was a good thing. Yeah, it wouldn't be inspired by Lovecraft if it didn't freak right. people out. So, right. Yeah. There you go. Um, so you mentioned kind of the, uh, the Metroidvania ish style thing of, of gathering new stuff to, to get to new areas yeah. is that mostly just new weapons like you get a, a rocket launcher that you can now destroy a wall with or whatever or right. are there other gadgets and stuff there's a couple other gadgets there's okay. a jump there's like a jump boot hmm. okay that that helps you double jump uh reach you know allowing you to reach things that you wouldn't have been able to mm-hmm. prior to that and and that's kind of a hard lock on certain levels so you have to find that before you can get to those levels. The the time bombs is another one, which isn't it's a weapon, but it's also a tool, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, that's that's <laughs> that's kind of the extent of it as far as items and weapons and stuff. So, okay. yeah. Now, um, also with that kind of open world issue, you said it's, it's not really open world, but there is backtracking. So, would it be something akin to like Metroid Prime, where it's like, yeah, it's a very w- like it's a it's all one map per se, but it's a, right. a very guided kind of experience. You can't just go anywhere at any point. Your right. abilities limit where you go. Yeah, it, I would say that's the. That's probably the closest example I can think of in, okay. in other games. Um, right. You, you, I think there are a couple dungeons that you could go to. Uh, there, it's, there is like a central hub world and then different dungeons. And there's a few different choices you could make along the way, but pretty much limited until you get these, these upgrades and stuff that you need. Okay. Uh, but then you can go back and unlock things that you passed by once you find those upgrades. So there's, it encourages exploration and backtracking in a way, which, which I enjoy in, in that type of game, mm-hmm. for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, once you reach a certain level, it's like a, a new a new world, you could say, right? Um, right. So you can't go back after a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, but once you get to that new world, then you have that same capability of, of backtracking and within that new area. Okay. Basically, two major, major areas okay. split up into different dungeons and buildings and stuff. And I try I'm, right now. What I'm actually doing, kind of the fun part now, which is, uh, since the whole game is kind of up and running and working, I am updating the artwork. So each region kind of has its own sort of different features, and uh has a distinct look you know and that's actually i found that enjoyable to be able to do that and, and not have to worry about the mechanics of it anymore sure. as much uh it's just kind of more of a artistic expression now than anything yeah. Yeah. uh now you mentioned with um with space explorers, that uh, you had a, a positive experience with um, uh, with early access, and yeah. I assume that was kind of the the reason that you wanted to go early access again with um, with Paradox Vector. Paradox Vector. Yeah, I almost said Project Vector again. I, I have no yeah. idea why. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, it, it hasn't been negative. Uh, if you look at the page, it's got again mostly positive reviews, mm -hmm. which is great. It's just not ton of them <laughs> i'd like more uh hint hint nudge <laughs> nudge um but uh i haven't been getting as much feedback as i did and i think a lot of it might have to do with the game it pretty much runs as expected there's little bugs here and there uh, and i do hear about those but with star explorers i think people got frustrated with it more because it didn't necessarily do what you expected it to do hmm. uh okay. so maybe that's you know why i got a lot more feedback it was more like uh i don't understand this can you explain it or can you fix it and so i would be very active uh with this game it's like well it's just a you know first person shooter nothing too extravagant happening in the controls and things and a lot of the stuff i had already learned from Star Explorers, Star Explorers, which is also a first-person game. So I think uh, between those two things, I think it's been less hectic uh, as an early access. But that's also making me feel like maybe there's less interest. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, they might be people might be waiting till the full release. Uh, or not as interested. I don't know. It's, it's hard to hard to say, as I mentioned. Sure. Um, maybe I should throw some bugs in there, get people's <laughs> attention. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, although I should say, where I post screenshots and stuff, it does tend to generate more interest than my other games. Hmm. Okay. Just hmm. not in not in the actual feedback. Yeah. So I'm I'm I don't know. It, I think maybe early access is less popular now as a thing people don't want to risk because you hear about early access games that never quite get finished and the 
developer runs away and has all this money and mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they never they never update the game uh and that's sad because it's you know it's kind of a promise on on the developer's part to finish that thing once people start buying it right that's how i feel anyway uh so that's one thing that could be you know increasing the number of people who are going to wait until they buy it versus the people who are going to risk you know getting it now right and is um is the game currently like fully playable from from start to end i, I assume since yeah. there is kind of a story and everything that that yeah there is a full is in... the full game is there okay um, um definitely I wonder if that's I don't know the when I think of early access games I usually think of games more similar to um, Star Explorer which is like a, a roguelike type of thing where you're yeah. I don't know the idea of just kind of you know playing it for a while now and then maybe jumping back in later um, seems perfectly plausible uh, but when it's something that not necessarily story driven but is a kind of more linear authored linear, experience yeah. um, I could see that I don't know maybe yeah. it's just like I don't know. Like you said, people are just waiting for the, the 1.0 release or something like that. Who knows? That, maybe maybe they're just waiting to hear sure. this conversation and and then they'll go out and check it. I, I don't, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, I think that is that is all the questions that I have for the game itself. So so now okay. we get to to go into um, the the end game, which is one of my favorite parts of the show. I mean, I host it so. I mean, I guess you know, it's, <laughs> they're all my favorite part of the show. But if, if I had a, had a favoritist, it would probably be this one. Um, so these are, are questions more geared towards you personally. And the first one is relatively simple, though not necessarily easy to answer. Um, sure. If you could go drinking with any video game character, who would you like to go have <laughs> drinks with? Um, okay. It's a good question. Uh, I would first say that I don't actually drink alcohol. Okay. So we would be drinking orange juice or root beer. <laughs> that's you know that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, video game character. Let me think. I I I want to say one, but it's going to reveal what my favorite video game is. So I'm going to think of another one. Well, I'm not actually going to ask you your favorite video <laughs> game, but if if you reveal it, you reveal it. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely then. And he would be drinking vodka. <laughs> the the character of Sidorovich from the Stalker games. Okay. He He's like a traitor that you uh, awaken with amnesia in his bunker. And he kind of hires you to do different tasks and stuff. And uh, he's an interesting guy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that game, but um, mm-hmm. a little bit. I um I never got very far into it because uh, those games are difficult. Uh, okay, so yeah. I, yeah, they were. Yeah. I uh, I think I have all of them. Um, but then I don't know the the things that I I liked about Stalker I found in Metro, and uh, okay. I'm not I don't know if I'm super interested in a Stalker too. Um, okay, fair but enough. We'll see. We we also I mean we've got like one pre-rendered trailer so who right. knows who knows what the yeah, game is I, anyway i'm anxiously awaiting that one yeah <laughs> since 2012 they, <laughs> they said it was going to be ready yeah it's, uh, it's been a minute 
we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So definitely, um, yeah, I'm sure he would have some interesting stories to tell. Okay. If you could, if you could sit down and replay uh, any game, so soccer. have that soccer. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. The first yeah, one that, or uh, Clear Skies? Or... The first one. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I got it on Steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like two bucks on sale. And I just, I only bought it because my brother had mentioned it like in an offhand conversation two years prior to that. He said, this game looks cool. It's called Stalker. It's like, okay. He doesn't really play video games too much. So, but he, he likes the idea of them and he points them out to me when he sees something that's interesting. And so I kind of remember that conversation and it's like, oh, two bucks. I'll get that. <laughs> and I played it for like half hour. It's like, oh, this is kind of like a first person RP- RPG. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's little quests that you have to go on. And it's not like all, you know, it's not like very linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of an open map that you can explore. And I didn't think much of it. You know, it's like, okay, it's interesting. And I kind of, right after that session, the game Left for Dead came out. Mm-hmm. So that was around 2010, I think. And I got really into that. For like a month, I played nonstop. Um, And then after a month, you know, you've done all the different missions several times. And so let me try that Stalker game again. Uh, And what happened was the first time I played it, the the environment, the the atmosphere was like a gray, cloudy day, right? Mm. So the lighting was very muted and very even, and it just looked like an old game that didn't have interesting lighting. Yeah. Right? And that's what I thought it was. I thought, oh, this is an old... But the next time I played it, the sun was out in that game, and the lighting in that game is just gorgeous. It's it's amazing. Right? It's still, to my to this day, it's my favorite-looking game. Because mm. uh, it has, like, a real-time day night cycle with these shadows that it you know the sun will cast the shadows and it's not like unheard of in gaming but at that time it wasn't something you saw a lot of right uh and i just remember going into this old abandoned like barn and pulling out my flashlight and it was like a sunny beautiful day outside but it was and there was nothing in this barn there was nothing at all and the barn was completely empty And I had my flashlight and I got so creeped out (laughs) because I felt like I was in this abandoned barn in this like militarized zone in Russia or Ukraine or whatever. It says, well, like I was and the flashlight, the way the light bounced off of stuff, it was like very realistic. And just that experience right there kind of sold me on the whole the whole game. And. But at that point, I thought it was just a first-person RPG with kind of uh, bandits and military type, you know, uh, war game. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there were, like, mutants in this game and, and oh. you know, darker things that were going to be happening. So once I encountered those, it was like I wasn't ready for them. <laughs> and it, it scares you. Right, it's a very scary game, very creepy. Yeah, but it's it's the kind of creepy I like. I don't know. There's some kind of creepy things that I just can't stand and I avoid. 
And there's some that are, you know, like Godzilla, like it's just fun. Right. But this was just the right level of creepy, scary, but not too dark. So I, I just I just fell in love with it. It was okay. such a great experience. Nice. I, uh, yeah. You're, you're kind of making me want to go back and, and give it another oh, shot. Cause it, I... I've, I've played through those games each three or four times. Okay. Each. So <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I was I, I remember picking I picked them all up, I think, um, for, for super cheap and I always thought they looked yeah. cool and they're but they're um in, in some ways kind of like going back to I guess if you tried to play Deus Ex today or System Shock sure. uh today. Uh that can be kind of difficult. It's not that it's not still a worthwhile experience, it's just the the leap in kind of game design and right. not even like in terms of like how well game design is just in in terms of how things kind of hold your hands these days in a lot of ways they do um, hold your hands and, and there's a lot of bugs in those games yeah yeah so and i think the modding community has done a great job that's actually what i'm looking up right now as you were talking you, about it i'm like what are the top mods for stuff yeah. <laughs> uh and and here's the thing any new game i buy or get for free or whatever start playing i always end up going i you know i could be playing stalker again <laughs> do i really want to play this or do i want to load up stalker again and more than half the time i'm like okay i'm gonna go back to stalker <laughs> it's nice. kind of sad but it's one of those game worlds where you feel like you're inhabiting it right yeah you, you kind of live there uh so it's it's very intriguing exercise to get into one of those games but the, sure. all the mods are usually really difficult if you had trouble with the original version yeah most of the mods are going to be really hard and you kind of have to <laughs> save and load a lot until you get the hang of it right and I, I i've had to do that recently there's a mod called anomaly mm -hmm. and yeah it, it's just like super difficult until you kind of get a grasp of where you're at and upgrade your weapons a little bit it's almost like you just have to spam save the game until you reach that point. Yeah. But I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Well, so you said that you meant, um, or you said that you don't get to play a lot of games and those that you, you do, you don't, you don't finish a ton of them, but is there right. a, is there a particular kind of blind spot in your games, a particular franchise or series, or maybe even genre that you don't play, but you would love to get into? Yeah, uh, space games, believe it or not. And okay. after, after I made Star Explorers, I started encountering other space games. And because I loved the idea of a space game, but I just never got into them. Yeah. And mine was more about landing on planets and exploring the planets. The space part is kind of, it's there, but it's kind of intermediary. There's not a ton happening in space mm -hmm. other than just going from one world to another. So uh, I started following this guy on Steam called the Space Game Junkie. And he plays space games and reviews them. And he reviewed my game. He said it was kind of not that great. And <laughs> but I liked, I liked the feedback he gave me. He actually gave me really good feedback. Nice. And so I started watching his other videos and watching some of the other games he plays. And one that he said he really liked, but it ended up being kind of empty was called Elite Dangerous. And mm -hmm. if you look at the, the graphics in this thing, it's just 
really beautiful. It's, it's yeah. a few years old now, but it's still really beautiful. And it was on sale for like eight bucks. So I was like, okay, I'm getting that. And I really want to like this game. And I went on my first kind of optional sort of side quest mission. And it was just to mine some material from these asteroids. And just the amount of time and effort and detail that went into just mining these minerals from these asteroids, I felt like I was like really in space. Mm -hmm. But it was like work. It was like, I have to get like 20 pieces of carbon or something. And to get one piece of carbon, it took me like three hours. (laughs) 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 Because you can't get an entire piece of carbon all at once. You have to get a bunch of little ones to build up to one unit or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So it was like, wow, like they're so detailed, but yeah, I don't have, I don't have the energy for that. (laughs) And so, yeah, there's something, and I have similar mining in, in my game where you just kind of blow up an asteroid and you fly into the remaining rubble and your ship automatically picks up, uh, a unit of whatever material was there. Uh, and it's just easier, you know? Right. So yeah. I feel like I, I don't need to become an asteroid miner. Just <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> but I like the idea of it. I mean, it was really cool to figure out how to do it. And I like the amount of detail and effort they put into that, but it just, it didn't feel like a game anymore. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, there's another there's another story like that, uh, which was this game that's very popular, and I understand why people like it, and it's called Stardew Valley, mm-hmm. and it's like a pixel art indie game, and it's very popular. And I I started playing it, I was like enjoying it, and in this game you have to kind of manage a farm, or yeah, like a, a, you have to plant different plants, different vegetables. And you have to dig up rocks so you can have more room for farming. But your character will get tired, right? And if you don't really understand how the game works, you get tired very quickly. And I found myself getting tired very quickly. And I just remember I wanted to play the game. And I was like, in my mind, I was planning what I was going to do in the game. Because you you can't just do everything you want. Like in Minecraft, where you just do all this stuff. You have to kind of do a few things. And then you have to kind of take a break. And I was like, okay, I got to break up those rocks down by the, the pond in the morning. And I have to go into town and pick up some potatoes or whatever. And then I have to, you know, come back and drink some water so I can revive myself and, you know, finish planting or something. And I realized, like, I was anticipating the playing of this game in the same way I anticipated, like, going in my actual own backyard to clean up <laughs> the leaves. And I was just like dreading it. <laughs> like, I have to do work. And I realized like I have actual work to do in my own backyard. And what am I doing? <laughs> I got to mow the lawn. I've got to, I've got to, you know, there's like a thing of wasps I have to deal with in, in this garbage can that I'd never emptied. And there's like stuff. And I was like, I'm not playing this game ever again. <laughs> it's killing me. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but I understand why people like it. I just couldn't couldn't get into it. It sure. felt like work. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Um, so is, uh, is there a, a good trend in video games that you would like to see more of? A particular, uh, it could be a, a game design decision, it could be a mechanic, it could be, uh, I don't know, it could be a genre, it could be a- anything, literally, just that you, you feel like there should be more of out there in games. Stalker 2. More Stalker 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I, I really like, uh... I loved the pixel art sort of revolution mm-hmm. and I'm anticipating a vector graphics revolution <laughs> to, to, you know, hopefully uh, see different styles and different uh, kinds of art come out that we haven't seen before, you know, like just visually. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's, there's always new styles and new interesting takes on even on old, uh, old types of game, gameplay, but with a different twist on them. Uh, one of the one of the games I actually finished this year was called Dusk. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because I loved it, and partially because I felt like I was doing research for my own game, because it's one of the most popular like indie, old school first person shooter type games out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also replayed the original Quake and Quake 2 just to kind of get myself into that. But I really like that. That That's the type of game I can always play uh, if it's relatively well-made. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about seeing more of those retro shooters. But I'm definitely anticipating Stalker 2. Uh, whether will be disappointed again. I don't know. Waits to be seen. But I'm hoping they do finish it. Um, as far as different like gameplay trends. Yeah, I like I like and I don't I don't spend a lot of time on very experimental games, but I love the idea of them. Like there's a game called Baba is You. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're you're like putting words together to create the actions of the of the objects on the screen and how they interact with each other, and that I felt like wow, that that's that's a game changer in terms of game mechanics. Right. I don't know what will happen with that if that's going to be the beginning and end of that, or if someone's going to take that and move it to a new level. Maybe it's happened already somewhere, but I, I haven't seen it. But things like that are always intriguing and even if i only played it for like 25 minutes i still feel like that's a fulfilling experience because it's so different uh another one i think it was the same developer he did crayon physics and that was just that was pretty mind-blowing like you actually draw on the screen to create the items that you need Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to solve the puzzle like that was and it's all drawn in crayon like wow that was that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, totally, totally unique uh, game design. So seeing different things like that, they're not huge, epic experiences like like a Stalker game or like a Mass Effect or you know Skyrim. I do love Skyrim, by the way. Uh, but they're just these kind of small, interesting uh, experiments that get your mind moving, you know, in a different direction. Right. And I think that that's ultimately, I think games are a great teaching 
tool, but I don't think we've really even tapped into that aspect of them, right? Mm -hmm. There are storytelling tools for sure. There are hand-eye coordination tools, uh, but that teaching, I think you could, you could teach any concept you want in a video game and people could actually learn not necessarily how to do something in the physical world, but certainly you can learn a lot about how something works and something, you know, the, the broader ideas behind, behind, behind a particular concept. And I think that that's something we're just tapping into right now. Yeah. As, as a society, you'd say. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think there's, there's tons of potential in okay. this, in this medium. It's, it's an artistic medium. It's used commercially, mm -hmm. like any artistic medium, but it's also used experimentally and as an expression of, you know, a person and also as a potential way to teach people. So I think, I think we're just getting, you know, into this as a, what, 30 years ago, they didn't really exist, right? Right. <laughs> so, barely. So it's, it's, it's a very exciting yeah. to be a developer right now, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's also very, uh, I don't want to say depressing because I am a pretty positive person. I don't get depressed so much, but it's frustrating <laughs> to, to have all this potential at your fingertips, but literally thousands and thousands of games are coming out. So I, if I spent you know, six years working on a game, yeah. it will get so easily overlooked because that same day on Steam, 30 other games, you know, arrived. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, there's the double-edged sword of that uh, accessibility to game development that, you know, you wish not everybody else was doing it, but <laughs> at the same time, it's great. Right. <laughs> Well, so um, second to last uh, question, uh, yeah. you, you're doing a lot of different things. You've, you've got a background in fine arts. You do painting uh, on the side. You do graphic design and video editing, um, and you make games. But if there was yeah. any other profession that you would like to give a shot, literally anything, what's something that you would like to do? Uh, I love science. I love reading about science. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I probably would have made a good scientist had I focused on that yeah. in school. But I went into the arts. Uh, I don't regret going into the arts. I love game design. I love art. But I think science is just also an extremely fascinating topic. Um, I read a lot of... I found at the at the local used bookstore like a stack of nine to 12 books by Isaac Asimov, all nonfiction. Mm -hmm. oh. And he just, he, he wrote all these articles and they compiled them into books and all about any kind of scientific topic, mostly space kind of related astronomy, but a lot of different things too. But those, I just gobbled them up. I, I bought them all. I read them all within a few months mm -hmm. and I've read them again now because mm -hmm. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get enough the first time. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I have kids, I have seven kids and we love 
astronomy. I have a big telescope. We go out at night, we look at the moon, we look at different, we found Saturn one, one time, that was a surprise. I didn't expect it. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to see. And I think that, you know, that fed into me making Star Explorers because, you know, obviously Star Trek had a, had a hand in that too. But just the idea of being able to go, there's so much out there that we just don't have access to. And we're like we're like playing a Metroid game. We have to unlock it, you know. And I, I'm just like, why aren't we working on that as a society? Like, why are we fighting and, you know, arguing? And why don't we band together and work on getting off of this planet, <laughs> seeing seeing what's out there? I feel like there is so much potential that gets lost in all the negativity. And I mean, the negativity comes from real places, but I feel like you wish you could just solve it so we could move on right as a as a human race and, and not have all these nitpicking and fights and you know it, it i'm oversimplifying it so much it's sad because obviously there are real problems you know but that's that's one of the things i feel like if we do kind of eventually come together as different nations and kind of work together that kind of thing could be possible. We could be sending out spaceships and whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, there's just so much there. But yeah, so I get excited when there's there's new developments in in astronomy and in space exploration. But also, yeah, the NASA's budget is like this tiny little drop in an ocean. Right. So. Yep. What can you do? Yeah, no idea. I <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like that, my way of dealing with that is to make a game where right. people can experience that and maybe get inspired. Yeah. To work towards that in real life. Who knows? That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, final question. Um, to to take it away from being, uh, you know, kind of profound and, and serious. There. Um, if if you could meet and talk to. Uh, your drinking buddy, Sidorovich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what would you like to ask him, and what would be his response? Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I I hadn't thought of that. Let me think. Uh, definitely, you know, like where where are the artifacts? You know, where can I get the artifacts? <laughs> uh, I love I love that part of the game where you're exploring these invisible anomalies right there's these dangerous anomalies all around you but you can't see them mm -hmm. and within that dangerous location you have to find these invisible objects that are valuable right and you only get to see those once you get really close to them and you use this little detector to kind of it beeps you know faster as you get closer or and it's just this Weird, it's almost like a mini game within the Stalker game mm -hmm. where you're just, you know, hunting for this item. And Sidorovich is the guy you sell them to. He's like the black, your black market contact. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd rather just let him talk because <laughs> I don't know if he has any like useful information to me, but I think he'd be really interesting to hear kind of go off on a, on a rant. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Michael, that does it for uh, for our interview for the the end game for all of this. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting uh, about Paradox Vector as well as a lot of Stalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if no you apologies. Could... <laughs> no apologies necessary. Um, if you could send this out by letting people know where uh, they can go to find out more information about the game and when they can expect to be playing it. Sure. Um, well, I have a website, schmidtworkshops.com. That would probably be the best place to go to see all of my games. Uh, it's got links to Steam or to Itch, if you prefer Itch. And I've got a couple of things on Game Jolt also. And I actually have a couple of things on Green Man Gaming. So I, I think I have links to that there. If I don't, I will add them. Uh, but yeah, schmidtworkshops.com. And there's also paradoxvector.com, which will take you right to that particular page um, for that game. Uh, and as far as what's going to be done, I'm shooting for end of August, like maybe early September. Um, but we'll see, you know. Uh, it's, it's sometimes a bug shows up when I least expect it, and I have to deal with it. Uh, it's been pretty well play tested so far, but, you know, little things do continue to pop up here and there uh never actually ends but i think once all the major game crashing ones are gone we'll be we'll be good to go uh i i don't think there's any game crashing ones in there right now but uh just finalizing the artwork and stuff and, and getting the look and feel to be right i think that that's kind of the the last phase we're in at this point Okay. And I, I say we a lot on, on the Steam announcements and stuff, but just to let everyone know, it's just me. It's just... <laughs> there's no there's no we. It's the royal we. It's the royal we, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was told to do that. And I never <laughs> feel I never feel right about it, but you know, if I can sell an extra game or two doing that, I'll <laughs> Yeah. Um well, uh, we thank you for joining us today. So, um, welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, well, Michael, thank you again, and best of luck as you finish up development on uh, Paradox Vector. And there will be links for for all the stuff that you mentioned in the show notes of this episode, so people can go check that out. So, best of luck. Uh, stay safe out there, and I'm sure I'll talk to you. Uh, your next game great thank you so much john it's been a pleasure